Good morning, friends. Good to see you. Good to be with you. If you're online this morning, good morning to you. So good to, to have you with us. And if you are online, uh, just comment and say hi to us or reach out via email and let us know that you're, you're with us. We love having you with us, and we wa- just want to foster community rather than just kind of watching. So welcome to every single one of you. Um, this morning we are doing a Q&R because last week we said we were doing a Q&R, and then you had an academic and a preacher, two notoriously long-winded types of people, talk for a long time. And my wife told me afterwards, don't t- say it's a Q&R when you only ask only allow for three questions. And Shelly told told us afterwards we got lots of questions and didn't get to them. So we decided let's do one more Q&R. And this is just something we do around here. We love to hear from you. We love to just be able to be in conversation and answer some hard questions. We don't shy away from the hard questions around here. And I want to just kind of refresh our memories. We're kind of at the halfway point in the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John here at Bruce City Church for since July, mid-July or so, and we're a little bit more than halfway through it. And what we found, it's so fun that you read, Shelley, from Isaiah 58, because what we find in the Gospel of John is what we find in the prophets. It's, it's nothing new. It's that God is bent towards the people that you'd never expect God to be bent towards or prefer. You, you get this message in Isaiah 58. When I, when I expect God to break through and speak to humanity, I expect God to say things like, worship me all the time. I need more of your worship. That would make sense, wouldn't it? I need more of your allegiance. But what we find God saying when God actually breaks through and speaks to his people is, I want you to love each other better. I want you to remember the ones that everybody else forgets about. I want you to use your resources and your heart and your actions for your fellow human beings, particularly the marginalized. And then we skip forward to the Gospel of John. And in John 1, John is basically trying to answer right from the get-go this question that the church in the late first century was all about, the question that they were asking, which is, who was this Jesus? See, this Jesus showed up and did these incredible things, performed miracles, healed people, had a following, scandalously did, did, did some scandalous things, was radical and revolutionary, and then he died and rose again, and everybody was asking, who the heck was this Jesus? And so John, just from the get-go, says Jesus, just so you know, was the creator God. Jesus is the creator God. Jesus was God. He is God. He was with God in the beginning. And Jesus is, is, is God in the flesh, come to bring restoration and renewal and redemption to all things. And then he, he just testifies to what this life that Jesus lived, this ministry that Jesus partake in. We saw in John 2 where Jesus t- turns these, these cisterns, these containers of water that were used for religious cleansing. Really important, uh, really important containers of water that were used to cleanse people so that they could be acceptable to God, and Jesus fills them with wine and turns it into a celebration, immediately turning the tables on their religious order and world. Then in John 3, Jesus meets with this religious leader, a powerful, wealthy, influential religious leader, if you remember by the name of Nicodemus. And this religious leader is baffled when he meets God in the flesh. Instantly, we see this irony setting in that John is painting this picture where the religious people who we thought, people like me, people like Shelley, people like Randy Schmore, elders around here, people who, who we thought are the ones who are the experts at who God is and what God is like, they're baffled when God shows up. And it's going to be a theme that continues throughout the book of John. Then in John 4, Jesus meets, has this really scandalous encounter with this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, this woman who's marginalized, who's, who's, who's rejected from her community because she's been married several times, because she's, she's kind of a, an immoral religious outcast, and she's a woman, who, a person who a man should never be talking to, and God himself shows up and he engages with her in a scandalous way and humanizes her. 
and reveals the gospel to her and reveals his, his nature as Messiah to her. God's showing up and revealing himself to the exact people you'd never expect. This is what God is like, John's trying to tell us. Then in John 5, Jesus goes in, he goes to this pool of Bethesda, and he heals this man who's been, who's been paralyzed for 38 years, but he does it on the Sabbath. He's breaking religious rules, and the religious leaders don't like it. And all of a sudden, we begin this several chapter long, basically, argument and fight between the religious leaders and Jesus, the exact people you think would get along really, really well. The exact people who, when God shows up, you would think would get him are the ones who want to have him murdered. So we go on this several chapter long, basically on and off again, argument between the religious leaders and Jesus. Jesus claiming to be God and demonstrating that he's God and the religious leaders going absolutely bonkers. We see themes of Jesus saying things like, and, and, and saying things that scandalize even us. Saying things like, I, I, I actually, here's what it looks like to be my, my follower. Jesus is, is in, in the gospel of John, Jesus is all about having followers and disciples rather than just believers. Do you know the difference there? We've hit on this theme several times, but see, we in the 21st century American Protestant church, I grew up in this world that, that stressed, it's all about belief. See, it's not about actions. We would stress how we're different than Catholics because we're, we don't think we're saved by actions. We're saved through faith, which the Apostle Paul says, praise the Lord. But it seems that when Jesus showed up, he's a little bit more into action. See, he says that my kingdom is one that is not just believed in, but it's lived out. It's like it's almost as if it's the same God who said in Isaiah 58, I don't care about your religious festivals. I don't care about your prayers. I don't care about your fasts. I don't care about your, all the stuff you do that you think pleases me. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what all of that religious practice is about. Here's what communion's about. Here's what worship is about. Here's what studying the scriptures is about. Here's what sermons are about. Here's what all of this spiritual discipline is about. Transforming your life. See, if you really are reading the scriptures, you'll find God, either in the prophets in the Old Testament or especially in the Jesus in the Gospels, is really into us transforming our lives to look like Jesus. Then in, in John 10, Jesus, in John, John 11, Jesus brings back Lazarus from the dead, and now it's on with the religious leaders. They want to kill Jesus. And then in John 12, Jesus is anointed by Mary in this act of devotion and worship that is just absolutely scandalous. You should go back and listen to that sermon and study John 12. It's a brilliant passage. And then Jesus enters Jerusalem as king, and we found, we, we were challenged by this idea that many of us in the American church don't really have Jesus as our king. Jesus is our get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus is our key to eternal life. But our king is usually a political leader or a political party or an ideology. See, we don't really functionally have Jesus as our king for most of us, for many of us. We don't obsess about Jesus. We don't put Jesus first in our minds and our hearts and in the way we live. And then we got to this point where Jesus said, now is the time for judgment of this world, which just means that Jesus said, now is the time for me to go to the cross, to, to be sacrificed and to rise again and to set the world to rights. And there's so many things in this world that makes me so grateful that Jesus is committed to judging this world, that Jesus is committing committed to setting this world to right. For all the boys and girls who never know a day of goodness, but just suffering in awful evilness, Jesus died and rose again to set their world to right, to set this world to right. And Jesus said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And I just asked the question, what if Jesus really meant that? That in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what if he really did, like Paul said, renew and redeem all things? 
So do we have questions, Shelly? Yep. We do. We're going to, um, we like to, we're an elder-led church, not a pastor-led church. And so Randy and Shelly Schmore, they're, they're married, but they also happen to be elders here, both of them. And then we have a fourth elder whose name is Ian Benson. He's not here today. He's with family in Port Washington. But we, three elders who are here, are going to be taking and fielding your questions and just responding as best we can. So come on up, Randy and Shelly, and let's, let's actually do a Q&R this morning. I need all the, you know, liquid here with me. Apparently. You're going to need a bathroom soon. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, I want to start with one that actually came in last week. Um, And it was in regards to, um, it says, you mentioned what judgment looks like for believers passing through the refining fire of Jesus' love and sanctification. What does that look like for unbelievers? Okay, so just for context for those of you who is your first time, which if it's your first time here, welcome. We're super glad you're here. Um, I, when, when Jesus talks about judgments two, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, I think it was two weeks, no, three weeks ago, I said that judgment to me in the scriptures means two things. One is setting the world to rights, praise the Lord. The other is that every single one of us will pass through the, the, the judgment of God. None of us, I don't believe, are exempt. I think the scriptures show that each and every one of us will go through what I would call the refining fire of God. And that's not what I would call it. It's the book of Malachi. It's many other scriptures that speak to this refiner's fire. And I think that refiner's fire is the love of God that will not let anything that is not of divine love be in us in the end, if that makes sense. Like renewal of all things means renewal in me of all things. And the only thing that can burn that away that's of me and of, of sin completely and totally is the love of God in Jesus. So I think that all of us will pass through it. All of us will will we'll be subjected to the judgment of God in that refiner's fire. And for, that's why this process of sanctification, I think, really matters. Because I think all people will pass through it, and, and, and God will burn away all that is not of love, which means that's going to be a, I, I believe, that's going to be a really painful, terrible, awful experience for those of us who have settled in the hardness of heart and our stubbornness and sin and brokenness in this life. And in the Whatever's to come after death, when that judgment happens, for some of us, it's going to be a lot more painful than others. And that renewal that, gets, that we get to live into right now, it, we get to live into it because it's so beautiful, but also because this is the way that God has created us for, and inevitably, all of us will, will be subjected to that judgment. So I think, basically, I'm trying to say, we are, in the, we are right now in this life beginning that refiner's fire of God wanting to burn away all that is not of love within us. And if we can agree with that now more, and if we don't, it's going to be just more intense perhaps. And this is scripture matched with also just like trying to connect the dots of the scriptures, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add, especially because I wasn't here last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I would agree. The, the judgment we've made to be thinking in terms of this courtroom scene and things like that and guilty as charged and that's a lot of the context and the image we have many times but it's it's very clear throughout the course of scripture of this refining thing is what it really is about and words can kind of take on things that they weren't Mm -hmm. intended to Mm -hmm. at times and I think that's part of the word judgment that we don't have yes um, in our context and and what we kind of dwell on here in our part of the world here in America. And I would just say sanctification starts now. Yes. <laughs> and not, it's not for when we see Jesus face-to-face only. Mm-hmm. It starts now, every day. So. Yeah. Um, so a question coming from a more, this one's a little lighter, <laughs> but coming from a more evangelical background, what is Bruce City's stance on Lent? Do we encourage fasting, giving things up? What does Lent mean to us? You want to go? Sure. Um, Well, I think it's what you're seeing while you're here. (laughs) Um, If you grew up in a what might be called a higher church tradition, it might not seem, you know, as big of a deal to us around here. But I think to some of you, which are like backgrounds that we grew up in, I grew up in a Baptist uh, church and home, 
Um, Lent was kind of really an afterthought. There was no Ash Wednesday service. There was none of the um, encouragement to do these type of things. Everything was kind of on hold until Good Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe Palm Sunday. And so I think we try to straddle both of those things, realizing that folks here at our church and maybe, I, and I'm, I'm quite sure actually you guys represent that, uh, come from a variety of backgrounds, not just one single tradition here. And so we try to honor all of those things. So it's maybe kind of going down the middle um, yeah. when it comes to Lent. Yeah. I'll stick with that. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's just a time for us to kind of focus. <laughs> um, and that's what we encourage. Um, mm. We don't have any set, you know, you need to fast on these days and, you know, all the rules maybe that are applied to it. But just can we spend this time intentionally, giving some intentional time to thinking about spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices in our lives mm -hmm. um, for the sake of transformation. Yep. Um, so one person says here, I feel perpetually like I'm not doing enough, inadequate, overwhelmed by the needs of the world. Um, what do I do to follow Jesus better? Like it's one thing to learn about theology, but how do I practically walk this out when I feel like I fall short? Wow. Uh, first of all, that's beautiful. Um, I want to say whoever's asking that question, um, I get it. Um, that feeling of never being good enough or never doing enough or never um, being enough for God. But I also want to tell you, um, I don't think God agrees with that. Um, I think God is fully in love with you, proud of you, and is with you in the person of the Holy Spirit uh, calling you to God's self. And so um, my encouragement to you is, uh, first of all, just read the Gospels. Whatever you want, you can journey with us through the book of John, or you can start in Matthew and go all the way through. Because if you want to know what God looks like and what God is calling you to live like, just look at Jesus. We've been saying this over and over again for a couple of years now. If you want to know what the Christian life looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how to, how to live and how to treat others, look at Jesus. If you want to know who to, who to um, look to and who to, who to gravitate towards, look at Jesus. And do it with some friends and community. So when we have small groups around here, which we're going to be offering small groups in, I don't know, a month or two, uh, take us up on that. And grow in community so that you don't have to be by yourself thinking, I'm all alone and I'm not good enough, because you can have a group of people who see the beauty in who you are and be able to speak to that and bless that and push one another towards this, this work of discipleship. But it's, it's, this is our life's vocation, friends. And it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I hope you don't see whoever's asking this and whoever resonates with this question. I hope you don't see this as um, like school like, or like work where you punch in and you punch out or you got to do your job and you got a boss who's, who's a taskmaster who's watching you all the time. I hope you see this as a delightful journey that you get to live and follow Jesus until the end of your life. And, and that's, that's a beautiful gift that we get to, to, get to have is this spiritual journey. I was just going to say, to me that seems to kind of come off of the first question. We feel like we maybe we're under judgment mm. a lot of times. And, and what we forget before that is the grace, peace, and love that we can understand more fully by looking and examining that life of Jesus yeah. that we saw. Um, even picturing yourself in some of the worst circumstances of folks that ran into Jesus. And what did he require of them? Not a ton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when we put that pressure on ourselves, um, I think Jesus is just saying, relax. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, just know who you are. That's really what I want you to understand first and foremost. And then you'll get to things. You'll want to do those things. But that's not what comes first. Just know who you are yeah. first. I'd encourage you to also read in Matthew 11 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And just believe those words. And I'm going to answer just really and live quickly into them. <laughs> about um, reclaiming some words too. Hmm. Words like spiritual disciplines. A lot of time we hear the word discipline and we think, I want nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. I, don't want, I don't want to be disciplined. I don't want to do that. 
Um, but there's beauty that comes from disciplines that become our rhythms, yeah. our rule of life. Um, those are words that are very big in the discipleship world, so to speak, but they can feel like, oh my goodness, such a burden, another thing I need to check off until we reclaim the beauty of those words mm -hmm. and the fact that a rule of life can actually be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. A spiritual discipline can be a really beautiful thing that walks me closer to the heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, That's good. all right. Um, so we'll go to a little bit different one again. Um, touching on the topic of last week again, the ultimate reconciliation, does that mean everyone's name is written in the book of life? It's a very simple um, question, yet profound, um, because it's also uh, kind of goes together with the question of um, what does the, the, the whole judgment look like for unbelievers? And so how do we reconcile those things? Mm -hmm. uh, well, simple question, you said. <laughs> Here's a simple answer the most genuine I can give you, I have no clue. And if I or anybody else who has a microphone tells you that they know who's written and whose name's written in the book of life, run, run for the door. Because we're just pretending at that point. That is way above any of our pay grades. And uh, I trust Jesus with those answers is, is what I can just tell you. Um, and I trust that, again, when Paul, the Apostle Paul says things like God's purpose was that in Jesus he would bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And when Paul says that in Jesus all, all God's fullness dwelled in bodily form and, and in Jesus God saw fit to restore and reconcile all things to himself, I believe it. And so um, I think everyone who is born, their names are written in the book of life, but that comes through a lot of that process of sanctification that we talked about that comes through the, the, the judgment of God burning away that all, is, all, all that is not of love. But again, this is, just, this is just what I've come to believe. And there's tons of scripture that say the opposite, that say there are some that will be condemned at the end. And I think we have to be honest about both of those. So I think a very honest question is, I don't know, but here's what I want to do, is I want to spend my life following Jesus and giving myself more and more to Jesus and being transformed more and more by Jesus because I'm confident that there's that thread that goes through the scriptures that says, basically, if you have faith and that faith transforms your life, that's, that's what God is looking for. And so that's, that's all I can rest, my, rest on in, in, in confidence. Yeah, I think that's really good. And the fact that the I don't know. I think the older I get, the more I hear myself going, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I want to think that I understand the grace and the love and the mercy of God fully. And you know what? Every time I think I've even gotten close to that, God blows that up and goes, oh, it's so much more than that. <laughs> it's so much more. And so I would echo, I don't know. But I know that God is good. Yep. And that God is love. Mm-hmm. And that his mercy and his grace is so much bigger yes. than anything that I can even compel. Because I think I take the best version of humanity that I can mm. think of, or even myself that mm -hmm. I can think of, and I apply that to that's how good God is. And God goes, oh, I'm so much better. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so um, that's one of the places that I, I find. Um, another question is, do you believe that the Bible can contradict itself? Or can all the teachings be harmonized? That's a, that's a light one, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can we just keep saying, I don't know? No, yeah. <laughs> that seems like a good uh, answer, right? I'm Most happy to talk first. If you want to, do you oh, want to go? Go ahead. You got something. Go ahead. Uh, um, those, that's, whoever asked that question, thank you for asking it, because I think that's a question that a lot of people have. Um, and I, I hope you hear... I just hope you trust my heart of love towards you. But that's, that's a question that I'm, I'm, I used to ask. But I'm just, when it comes to the Bible, I'm, that's a question that I'm not so interested in, in anymore. Um, does the Bible co contradict itself or can the Bible contradict itself? I think the Bible is a very, very complex library of 66 books that, is, that are thousands of years old that were written by many, many different people. And some of the books in the Bible, we don't even know who wrote them exactly. Some of them we think we knew, but the further we go and study and do archaeology and, and, and history, we, we are, we're not even certain about that. So uh, I think there are probably contradictions in the Bible. I think you can, I think those, those 
the atheists who want to point out all the problems with the Bible, it's hard to get around them. You can build a straw man argument to try to get around that, but it's, it's, for me, it's not worth it anymore. What I want, I, rather than wondering if there's contradictions in the Bible yet, uh, or if there's inconsistencies, what I want to know is, has the Bible, has the stories that you found in the Bible of God pursuing his people, have those transformed your life? I think that's what, those are the, the questions that I'm interested in these days about the Bible. Has, has the Jesus you found in the Bible, has he changed you at all? Has he changed the way you live, the way you think, the way you see yourself, the way you see the people around you? Has, has it changed the way you, who you're oriented towards? Has it, has it done anything in your life or has it just kind of affirmed everything about you? Because if that's the case, you're probably not reading it critically. And when I say critically, I mean really subjecting yourself to those words on the pages. And also, um, yes, I do think there are grand themes throughout the scriptures, and this is what I'll let you, Shmore, talk to, speak to, because you're really good at it, talking about these, there's, there's so much in the Bible, but I think the, the best way of trying to, to come to these conclusions about these really big, heavy, weighty things is to say, what are these meta-narratives in the scriptures? Can you speak to that a little bit, Randy? Yeah, I had something else. But oh, can, okay, sorry. It's, it's good. Yeah, I, I'm, those of you who know the Enneagram, I'm more of a nine, so I need time to think about stuff before I'm going to be able to say it. And I put um, my foot in my mouth oftentimes, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. That is definitely something that I think we need to understand about what the scripture's saying is what, what is the bigger story, which actually is bigger than the scripture itself, hmm. way bigger. Mm -hmm. um, in everything that we see and, and what is it all pointing towards um, the different ways it's described of the, the kingdom of God is I think Jesus' best um, title or narrative or instruction of saying this is what I'm talking about in the reconciliation of all things mm -hmm. and what's happening. And, and I think once we start looking at those things, then we start, which is what I really wanted to say, is trusting and seeing that there's not necessarily going to be contradiction in the Jesus behind the Bible, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in him. I think that's where we need to put our faith. It's not, it, and it gets kind of weird when you start talking about this because many of us have been instructed to trust this. And this speaks to who is the God behind it. Mm -hmm. That's who we trust. Mm -hmm. And that... At times when you first hear that, it sounds like a nuance, but it's way more than that, and it speaks to the, the grand story that we all find ourselves in mm -hmm. and, um, and the God that's behind that. So. Yeah. Again, we don't have to be scared of whether it's contradictions or conflicts, whether it's tough stuff in the scriptures. There are tough stuff in the scriptures. This is a challenging library of books. But I think it's a miracle, and it's inspired, I believe, and it's, in, for me, I believe that it's authoritative, and it's our job to wrestle with it our whole lives. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Shelley was saying, the, the older she gets, the more she gets comfortable saying, I don't know. The older I get, the more I realize I don't, the less I know about the scriptures, the more I study it, the less I understand in some ways, but yet at the same time, I see Jesus more and more clearly, and I think that's what the scriptures are about, is pointing us to Jesus every single time. You got one more. One, yeah, one more. For some reason, this point always comes to my mind. Do we realize that it's only really in the last maybe 200 years or less that people actually read the Bible? It's crazy. Most Christians did not read until less than 200 years ago, and people in general. And so when you start taking that into account and realizing Sure, the Bible was there and was part of the church and everything going through, but there was a lot of trust people had to have in who the God is behind all of this, much more whether they were parsing out and reconciling every single uh, verse to make it make sense. Mm -hmm. People didn't even have the option of doing that sort of thing mm -hmm. until because they couldn't read. Mm -hmm. So how did the church make it all these years if they couldn't read the Bible? Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. All right, this is a little bit more practical, and I'm actually going to answer first, just so you know. Awesome. <laughs> um, but the question was, how should I reach out to my friends who are non-believers without being too pushy? And just a couple things kind of come to mind. Um, right now, I'm in the middle of teaching a journey group um, where we just shared our stories. 
And I would say a couple things to that question. One, make sure they're your friends and not your project. Mm -hmm. Because if they're your friends, then just be with them. Mm -hmm. Be with them in their confusion. Be with them in their questions. Be with them in their joys and their celebrations and their sorrows. Um, but just be with them. And then when I think about sharing with them um, without being too pushy, I often think the best thing we can share with people is where, we've, where we bear witness to what God has done in our life. Because you can't argue with your own story, right? <laughs> Nobody can argue with how you related to God, but you can share it. So in sitting with a friend who's going through something, you can say, oh, you know, I'm with you in this. I feel this. I am so sorry. Can I just share a story of, some, of a way that I met God in a really kind of similar situation? And God met me, and I can actually begin to show them the thread of my life and the thread that I see God where he touched different places in my life. doesn't mean you have to share your entire life story every time. But is there, is there a spot where you can go, man, can I bear witness to what God's done for me? Because that's how I've gotten through those things. And all of a sudden, it becomes this real thing. It's not just talking about theology, because I think when we come with Bible verses and we just want to thump them on the head to, you should just think differently kind of thing, mm -hmm. that's not helpful. I don't know about you, but people have done that in my life, and that's not helpful <laughs> to me when I'm in the midst of something. But when somebody sat with me and put their arm around me and said, I know it hurts, or I'm so excited with you, and shared a part of their life where God was at work and there was a story with it, that touches my soul mm -hmm. much more than coming with the right verse. So um, I would say, how do you reach out to your friends? Be their friend, first and foremost, and share your story and, the, and bear witness to what God's done in your own life. That's good. And I would just, the only thing I would add there is that Jesus was asked a pretty similar question in the book of Luke. And it's, hey, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, love your Lord your God with all your mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the person said, hey, who's my neighbor? And then he told the story called the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think that's a really good example. Go read the story of the Good Samaritan. I think that's Jesus' answer to saying, how do I, how do I share Christ with those around me? How do I love those around me? It looks like the story of the Good Samaritan. And just check out that story and let it speak to you. All right. Um, this, wait a minute, where'd it go? There it is. Um, a little heavier question again. Um, do you believe in a literal afterlife? It seems in light of the uncertainty principle or certainty be, being an idol, is there a resurrection? <laughs> nice light question. <laughs> I um, told you it was heavy. Yep. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you asked what, what we believe. So I believe, yes, there is an afterlife. Um, I believe that. I don't know that. No one knows it. Um, no one is certain of it. But I think the scriptures speak to it, and it's a hope that is central to me um, in a moment where we just sang. Uh, there, was, there was a lyric in one of the lines that Grace and Elliot led that got me because it reminded me of a friend who passed away a couple months ago who's a dear friend who died way, way too soon. And um, this, this hope in, in, an, in the afterlife, in the resurrection, is um, what's fueling her husband right now and what's... Um, giving comfort to her kids um, and what's in her friends like me, uh, many of us who um, hope in that resurrection. Um, it's a strong, real hope. And when you lose someone close to you, it becomes even stronger and realer. And in some ways, the questions become even stronger and realer as well. But I think that the, the, this narrative of resurrection is all throughout the New Testament in particular. And um, I think 1 Corinthians 15 testifies to this this beautiful belief in the resurrection. And I might just preach on that for Easter, so we'll see. But um, resurrection is a theme that I can't let go of and I don't want to and I, I hope for. And belief is all we have. Right. Yeah, I mean, you start drilling down and asking the different questions about our own afterlife. And the main things that I guess I've found that I hold on to is... Jesus rise from the dead mm -hmm. because everything that we say and we are putting our faith in and even this whole narrative of what's happening and stuff um, there's not a lot of binding it together if 
if we don't have that. Mm -hmm. there, there's just a lot that's um, a lot riding on that mm -hmm. on Easter. <laughs> yep, honestly. Um, and there's, I think, there's, there's faith that people have and understanding and ways to get through life without it. But I think when you start, really start drilling down and understanding um, what, what is this life about and what is this idea of a Christian faith about and who this Jesus was and is and all of that, uh, the resurrection is, is, you can't get around that. Mm -hmm. that that's, that's kind of one of these things. It, it did or didn't. Yep. So, yep. All right, um, I have a question about the Holy Spirit here. Um, this person loves that we've had more Jesus time, learning about Christology and, and about who Jesus is. Um, but they say they miss the Holy Spirit. And how can we keep that in mind as we continue through the book of John? And then also I would expand on that as to what does Bruce City think about the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the forgotten God, maybe. I mean... In, in 90 seconds or less, right? Um, well, first of all, we are a Trinitarian church, which means that we believe that, that God is made up of this relationship of three persons, three beings, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that all three of those uh, persons in the Godhead are God. And so we, years ago, went through the um, uncomfortability of praying to the Holy Spirit and having a few people be like, you can't pray to the Holy Spirit. And we're like, is the Holy Spirit not God? Yes, we can. And so we... Um, We've, we've been a more kind of charismatic-leaning church, and I would say we're more of a mystical, uh, Jesus-centered church now. But um, as far as, like, what's, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? We believe the Holy Spirit is the person of God who we have with us, who's, who's with us in, in this journey, this spiritual journey. But uh, as far as the book of John goes, just wait, because we're like a chapter and a half away from Jesus saying some really amazing things about the Holy Spirit, things that we, would, we wouldn't even believe in his disciples would have been shocked by that he said about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to hold myself back a little bit and wait for a couple chapters from now. Well, as far as the Holy Spirit goes, I really like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, we want to be friends with the Holy Spirit. I want to be friends with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And... Honestly, I, I can't imagine my walk without the Holy Spirit because I couldn't do this. I can't, I can't muster up enough goodness in me to walk in the way of faith and the way of a spiritual journey without the Holy Spirit guiding me and leading me and holding me. And so I feel like, um, like I said before, the older I get, the less I know. <laughs> but also the older I get, the, the more I need the Holy Spirit. Mm. I need the Holy Spirit every day. And so personally, I, that's where I start my day, is me and the Spirit, and allowing the Spirit to just speak to my heart, being quiet and listening, and not coming to prayer with a whole lot of to-do lists, like, here, God, here's my to-do list for you, but coming to him and saying, Holy Spirit, will you speak? Will you lead me today? Will you guide me today? Um, I don't, you know, whose path am I going to cross? Yep. Will you give me wisdom in that? Yep. Because that's not stuff I can muster up on my own. I can try and, and have disciplines and things in my life, but you know what? I don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to lead me today, this afternoon, who I'm going to encounter, what my feelings are going to be. And that's the other thing is, is my feelings will dictate everything if I don't trust in the Holy Spirit. Mm, that's good. And that happens like Randy mentioned he's a nine on the Enneagram. I'm an eight, and I can react to things and want to jump in dogfights so mm -hmm. fast for reasons of justice and for all sorts of things. And that's where I have to say, Holy Spirit, <laughs> mm -hmm. what do you want me to do? I'm going to trust you with this. And sometimes it's a great mystery. <laughs> but I think that that's sometimes God allows himself to remain a mystery. Mm -hmm. I think what I would add is that uh, I really appreciate whoever asked that question. And I'm hoping maybe some others here might have that question about the Holy Spirit as well. Because as I said earlier in answer to another question about Lent, we have people that come from different traditions here. Mm -hmm. And many of you, I'm sure, are aware there are churches that really emphasize the Holy Spirit and, and would call themselves Pentecostal or charismatic or, or things like that. And Randy even mentioned that being part of his background. 
and it's been a part of our background as well too. And a lot of folks, I think, that I even look out and see you here today. And it seems like, um, you know, I would say there was a time in the history of Bruce City where we didn't emphasize much of the liturgy and things like that. And that kind of became something that drew our attention, so we need to emphasize that more. And maybe some of the manifestation things of the Holy Spirit and things like that, that maybe were a little more prominent in our church in years past, especially those of you that have been around for a while. You know, we have lots of new faces and going, what are you guys about? I we've had that in our history. I think that's still there. Mm -hmm. um, it's maybe not just being pushed or as much at the surface as it might have been at one time, mm -hmm. but I think we have an openness and an understanding, and there's a lot of the traditions of the church that we value in this place, mm -hmm. and, and amazingly in this small little group <laughs> that we have. And, and so I think you asking that question is something for us even as elders to take note of yeah. and say, is there some more that we ought to be doing? Are we overlooking something? That's good. And then if liturgy starts going away, hey, how come that's happening? Um, mm -hmm. All these things. So what you guys share with us and ask of us and all of those things really do matter. And we see that as the Holy Spirit speaking, mm -hmm. <laughs> just to kind of put it front and center there as well. As well. So really appreciate that question. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, there is. But, do you want to do um, one, or, one or two more? Yes. Specifically, this one was about prayer, um, kind of following up on the the. Um, not being pushy to our friends. How can we pray with non-believers or people of differing faiths? Um, and I think that's a good question. There's been those times maybe where you're in a mixed group and you pray over your meal even or whatever, or somebody asks you or shares something in their life with you and you respond with, I'm a person of prayer, and so can I pray for you? And what does that look like? So does, does that question make sense? You're looking a little confused. I think so. Um, I'm... My first inclination would be to talk to my friend Steve Lead. Um, Steve is Steve. Could you could you wave, wave your hand? Everyone, look at Steve. He's he's great. Yes, we love you, Steve. Um, Steve and his family were uh, missionaries in Albania. Is it? Yes, for a long time. And Steve has a heart for uh, Muslim people. And he actually just last week hosted an event here where we had um, people from the Turkish American Society of Wisconsin who are all Muslim. Um, here to just to learn about Lent and to engage in dialogue and conversation together and ask each other questions. And then we're going to go bring whoever wants to come to uh, the Turkish Society of Wisconsin um, to, their, to their home, and we're going to have an iftar dinner, which is the dinner that breaks the Ramadan fast in April. I think April 15th we're going to do that. But if you listen to Steve, if you come to the events and you listen to Steve pray, you'll hear a person who's very, very good at praying to God in a way that uh, it makes all, all people feel included, um, praying to God in a way that is biblical and also um, generous, I would say. So uh, hang out with Steve Lead a little bit more if you want to know what it, uh, how, how to engage with other people of other faiths. And um, also just, um, I find genuine faith and genuine curiosity and genuine love for people just comes through really easily. Um, and not acting like we have all the answers um, comes through loud and clear as well. And people of other faiths feel respected and dignified when you, when you, when you bring yourself in a certain fashion. So I would say it's, it has less to do with particular words of what you do or don't say, and it has more to do with the posture that you bring yourself with. And I think that's Jesus in a nutshell. Yeah, the thought that came to my mind when I read that question was, um, I have shared that I've, I drove for Uber for a time, and I was pretty resentful about it at the beginning, and you can ask me details if you want to know them, but as I kind of settled into it, one of the things that I started doing was just praying before I left for the day, whoever comes to my car, just let me be the space that they need, let me hold that space for you, Holy Spirit. And then I was prompted to start asking people if they wanted prayer. And so when they were about to get out of the car, because people tell you everything when you're an Uber driver. Like, it's like free therapy, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but, not exactly free, but <laughs> But one of those things that I finally started saying after people would share a lot um, is, I'm a person of faith. Would you mind if I just prayed for you before you leave today? And only one person said no. 
hmm. in all the people that I asked. And so in doing that then, I didn't, you know, give a whole theological discussion as to what I was praying or anything like that, but I tried to use kind of general language, like God of divine love. Mm-hmm. And, and keeping it, because I didn't know their faith, and I didn't want to offend them, but I also wanted to, them to know that there's people in this world that care. Mm-hmm. And so um, even in that, just I had to go through my own, like, why am I doing this? Is it to make myself look or feel better and get my own ego in check? And then to actually respond in ways that people could receive it and, mm-hmm. and wanted to receive it. Um, Last one. Make it, make it a good one. All right. They're all good, though, right? All right. Here you go. Um, can you just touch on, anybody, the, um, on divine love of God versus our understanding of justice? And how can this impact our understanding of hell? <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, a couple of things, and I'm sorry that these answers on the spot are not the most cohesive things in the world, but uh, we're doing our best. So I believe, well, I believe that what the Apostle John said in his epistle, that where John said, God, three, three, three words that will change your world. God is love, period. Too many of us have tried to, in the, in the church, have tried to put asterisks and disclaimers on that statement. God is love and. God is love but, right? And then we ask the justice questions or we ask the, the um, judgment questions. God is love and nothing else. In all of, I think the early, especially the Eastern church uh, fathers would say that all of who God is, flows out of the love of God. All of God's holiness, God's justice, God's, God's righteousness, God's, all of it flows out of love. God is love and nothing else. And in all of it, then we reconcile with the love of God. And so the justice of God is, flows out of the love of God. And we can say yes and amen to God saying, to God judging all things and putting the world to rights. So when I think of justice, I think of Isaiah 58 and I think of God's heart for God wanting to end oppression and injustice and God wanting God's people to end oppression and injustice because God is love, because God is, that divine love is so overwhelming that it wants all to be reconciled and renewed and restored and redeemed. This is, so am I answering the question at all? Okay, I'll stop talking. You guys can fill in the blanks. I feel a disadvantage not having been here last week. (laughs) and all of that, but um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. What, what comes to mind with that is this same um, God that we're trusting in on this side of eternity, we're trusting in on the, on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a lot of unknown and change, and there is, um, between the two in our understanding of all of that. But to me, it's pretty reassuring to know that the same God is going to be the same on the other side, and that God is in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And everything that he is and was and, and what we see of him is going to be on the other side as well. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's pretty reassuring. It's not like all the rules change all of a sudden. He's, he's going to be there on the other side as well, and whatever all those things look like. Yeah, and let me just fill back in, because I'm remembering the hell stuff and uh, love and justice, whatever. Um, in, our, in our idea of the atonement of Jesus paying for our sins, of Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins, we love to, to, to hearken to the justice of God, and that's why God had to punish sin. The reality is, is that if you really think through the, the, the scriptures and our theories of atonement, we say that God is just and also loving. There is no justice in an innocent person dying on behalf of guilty people. That is not justice. That's the opposite of it. So then we can also go to scripture and see a person like the brother of Jesus named James who said, mercy triumphs over judgment. And then we see themes that harken back to the prophets of Jesus, of God saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. There's all these hints throughout scripture that, that the love of God triumphs over ju- ju- judgment in that the justice that we're looking for, I think, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And just in, in 
that this love of God in the end will burn away all that is not of divine love. And so whatever your picture is of hell, you can have it. But I think my picture is, is if there is a hell, it's a refining fire, not an eternal conscious torment kind of fire. That's just my beliefs. Yeah. And I also think um, divine love of God, when we begin to grasp some of that, of what that really looks like, and begin to have a heart of his justice towards the world, I think we see hell all over the place. Mm -hmm. And people are living in hell mm -hmm. <laughs> in many cases. And I think the call then is to go and bring the kingdom to those places, bring yeah. the love of God to those places, bring the justice to those places, and burn that hell up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so um, that's something that came to mind as that's I was good. listening yep. to you. Uh, let's thank these guys for deciphering questions and answering them. Um, Elliot and Grace coming up. A theme that we've seen recently in the book of John is this surprise at the religious people when they meet God face to face. And this irony that the people who thought they were all about God and God's ways and following God missed it. And it's easy to read that and, and judge all the, all the religious people 2,000 years ago without actually reflecting ourselves. But what we find is that we are that religious crowd who assumes that we know who God is and maybe we are just not as smart as we think we are. And I think the song that Grace and Elliot are going to lead us in is in this spirit of let's humble ourselves. The Apostle John is calling us in the Gospel of John to humble ourselves, not assume that we have all the answers, but look to Jesus and let Jesus transform the way we see things and the way we live and the way we act and the way we believe even. So let's stand and finish our time with one last song, and I'm going to pray as we do. Jesus, Father, Son, and Spirit, we stand in the line of generations who've just been asking these questions. Is there more than this, than this life? Is there more than is there more waiting for us? And what is it? And how does it look? And how will it feel? And, and what about hell and heaven? And what about judgment? And what about my neighbor who doesn't believe? And what about me who struggles in my faith? And what about me who gets it wrong over and over again? What makes me feel at rest is that I stand in a long line of questioners. I'm one of millions of curious people who are just follow, see something that's good and beautiful in you, Jesus, and who wants to give themselves to following you. We're here on a Sunday morning out of bed when we've, when we've lost an hour's sleep just because there's something in you, Jesus, that we want more of. When you speak things start to make sense. And when you speak, I start to see things in my life that need to change. When you speak, Jesus, I want to be quiet. So actually, I'm going to invite you, friends, to sit back down and just to listen and let these words wash over you and let the Holy Spirit speak to you through this time.